You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a swordswoman, she was a warrior worth a thousand, ready to confront a demon or a god, mounted or on foot. She handled unbroken horses with superb skill. She rode unscathed down perilous descents. Whenever a battle was imminent, Yoshinaka sent her out as his first captain. Equipped with strong armor and oversized sword and a mighty bow, she performed more deeds of valor than any of his other warriors. Hello, 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 my friend, and welcome back to For the Love of History. I'm TK, and holy bananas, we have got a good one today. Are you ready for 20 to 30 minutes of kick-ass women? Because today we're talking about Onobugeisha, the women samurai of Japan. You heard me right, friend, women samurai. We're going to take a look at the history and legendary women who fought their foes on and off the battlefield and figure out why the lives of female warriors are the greatest untold stories in samurai history. Grab your weapon of choice, get your battle face on, and let's get to it. Before we get started, there are some basic foundation information thingies that I want to tell you. Japanese history can be a little bit confusing due to the different periods and era names and the Japanese words that are often used even in English historical translations. So let's get started with the eras in Japan. I'm going to post a visual timeline on my Instagram stories. So all you visual learners, I got you. I see you. So human beings first came to Japan in 10,000 BCE. So until 710, we have early Japanese history. Then we have the Nara and the Heian periods from 710 to 1192. Then we have the Kamakura period. (laughs) Kamakura period from 1192 to 1333. Then we have a little bit of a gap, but don't worry, I'm going to address it later. We have the Edo period from 1603 to 1868. And finally, the Meiji period from 1868 to 1912. As far as Onabugeisha are concerned those are the big periods that we're going to look at today. So there is one overarching name for several time periods between 1467 and 1615. This is called the Sengoku or Warring States period. There are several different time periods that fall in those dates, but the Sengoku or Warring States period is the big overarching name, and that's all we're concerned with today. (laughs) So there's just two vocabulary words that I want to tell you about. Um, Shogun, which is military dictator, and Daimyo, which means lord or vassal. They're like the number two people in charge that report directly to the shogun. So there you have it. You're all caught up. And for the sake of ease, we're going to go in chronological 
order today from early history to modern Japanese history. And along the way, I'm going to tell you about the most famous, famous, famous Onobugeisha from each era. One thing to note is with each era, the role and social position of the Onobugeisha change dramatically. There were golden ages and dark ages and we're talking about them all today. So on to our topic. What is an Onobugeisha? Well, Onobugeisha refers to defensive combat women fighters. Hundreds of years before the formal formation of their male counterparts, the Onobugeisha were the first and last line of defense for their families and lands in the very much ununified, little bit scary Japan. They were trained in long-range warfare using a long spear sword called a naginata and close-range hand-to-hand combat. The Onobugeisha always carried a long knife with her to cut the heads off of her enemies. We're going to talk about that more later. Everything really began in the year 200 AD with the very first recorded Onobugeisha, Empress Jingu. Now, if you have been following along with For the Love of History, you already know Empress Jingu. You're an expert. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail because I have already covered Empress Jingu in a previous episode. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go check it out. I promise you'll love it. But long story short, Empress Jingu was a badass who single-handedly defeated Korea with no Japanese bloodshed. And she may or may not have been pregnant at the same time. Empress Jingu was the first recorded Onobugeisha, but she was certainly not the only one. All women of this time were trained in combat and self-defense. With the men in their lives often gone for one reason or the other, they were left to protect their land and their lives by themselves. Japan was like the Wild West at this time and would continue to be for a really long time. There was no unification. There were clans fighting with other clans. There were constantly battles. So a lady had to be on her toes at all times. Unfortunately, during this time, written records were scarce. So we really don't know a whole lot of information about them. But what we do know is... They were expected to perform the same duties and were held to the same standards as men. They were every bit as powerful and lethal. These women helped settle new lands in the rapidly growing clans and defended their territory. They had a legal right to supervise their lands and would join in fighting during times of war. So from then on, things were going great. Onobugeisha were gainfully employed, they were defending their land and their clans for like hundreds of years. So that brings us to the 5th and the 6th centuries. This is often referred to by many historians as the Epoch of the Queens because Japan was led by a succession of powerful empresses. And as societies often do when women are in charge, shit was just flourishing. We were having a good time. Not we. I was not living in Japan in the 5th and the 6th centuries. (laughs) So a bunch of stuff happened. It's all very exciting. There was lots of art. Lots of 
culture being created that we now associate with Japan. It was great. It was fun. But nothing really has to do very much with the Onobugeisha, so we're not going to talk about it. What we are going to talk about is the 12th century. The 12th century finally saw the formal establishment of the Bushi, or the warrior class in feudal Japan. Think of it like the people around the royal family, all the dukes and the duchesses and the things like that. That was the Bushi, the warrior class of feudal Japan. And the samurai class was known for their unswerving loyalty, their martial arts, and their devotion to an honorable death. They were employed as guards and private armies by the imperial court, and men and women, samurai, continued to be equals in every way. Sometimes they were separated due to weapon training differences, but other than that, things were pretty peachy. And once again, we go into a state of relative peace in the Nara and the Heian periods up into the mid-1100s. This is when things began to get spicy. Between 1180 and 1185, conflicts between the rival samurai clans of the Minamoto and the Taira gave rise to one of the most famous women warriors in Japanese history, Tomoe Gozen. So that epic description at the beginning of the podcast, that little intro, that was a description of Tomoe Gozen. Tomoe was one of the few women warriors who engaged in offensive battle. These kinds of warriors were known as Onamusha. Onabugeisha were the more common defensive fighters and Onamusha were the offensive fighters. So Tomoe was a little bit of a rarity and a total 11 out of 10 on the badass scale. In 1184, she led 300 samurai into a fierce battle against 2,000 opposing Taira clan samurai warriors. And they totally won. And then, during another battle, that same year, she slayed several adversaries before decapitating the rival clan's leader, presenting his head to her leader, General Kiso Yoshinaka. This lady was not kicking ass and taking names. She was kicking ass and taking heads. In another battle, she defeated and collected heads of at least seven warriors. Okay, I gotta stop. I know you're probably thinking, TK, why is she taking all these people's heads? Well, according to the culture at the time and the rules of engagement between samurai, Bringing home heads of your enemy was a sign that you fought hard and you dishonored your enemy because it was really bad not to be buried with the rest of your body. So the more heads you had, the greater a warrior you were. So that's why she was taking heads. Tomoe was such a great fighter that Lord Kiso no Yoshinaka, her leader, one of the great Minamoto clan rulers, made her 
his commander in chief. In Japanese, it's called Ippo no Taisho. This allowed her to head troops on his behalf. She was basically the general of the entire Minamoto clan. All of them. She was in charge. She was the boss. Whoop whoop. Tomoe was rocking it for years, taking heads left and right. But unfortunately, she backed the wrong side in this war. The Minamoto clan would eventually fall. But Tomoe was not among the fallen warriors. Her leader, Kisono Yoshinaka, was fatally wounded in the final battle for control over Japan. She came to his side to defend him until his last breath. This scene is written about in the Heikei Monogatari, which is a book describing the wars in the 12th century. So I'm gonna read that to you now. Tomoe made no move to go, but Yoshinaka insisted she flee until at last she said, At least I would like a worthy opponent. I would like to show you, my lord Kiso, my last combat in your service. So she lay in wait for an enemy, and there appeared one famous for his strength throughout the province of Musashi, Oda no Hachiro Morishige, with 30 horsemen following closely behind. Tomoe charged in among them, went straight to Oda no Hachiro, fiercely seized him and pinned his head on the pummel of her saddle then wrenched it around, cut it off, and tossed it away. After that, she removed her armor and escaped towards the east. So, the Minamoto and the Taira clan fought in battles that were won and lost, unable to unify Japan under one clan. From the 15th to the 19th century, the status of the Onabugeisha is like a roller coaster. It has crazy highs and freaking awful lows. And many of the terribly good and terribly bad things went on at the exact same time. So I am going to give you the bad news first and then we're going to talk about the good stuff. In the years between the 15th and the very early 17th century, known as the Sengoku period or the Warring States period, the image of the Onobugeisha changed significantly. The status of the female population in Japan changed in accordance with the Neo-Confucian philosophy that was just spreading like wildfire. In this period, Onobugeisha were often wives or daughters of noblemen, generals, and warlords. The men who were once samurai now were simple bureaucrats in the hierarchy of the empire and their female family members suffered heavy restrictions. Women were now regulated to the role of subordinates, often seen as little more than child bearers, which, ugh, gag me with a spoon, that's horrible. They had to be obedient, selfless, and ready to devote their lives to the family's honor. Women, specifically daughters of most upper-class households, were soon pawns in political plans and alliances, these fierce, majestic, head-cutting-off baddies, and the ideals of fearless devotion and selflessness, selflessness that they held were gradually being replaced 
by quiet, passive civil obedience. The Onobugeisha kept training, though, with their naginata, but it was considered moral training and not actually for combat. But it's all right, my friend. It's gonna be okay. The Onobugeisha were not dead and gone. Although they were being kept down by society, they would not be altogether erased. Before the Sengoku period even officially started, the role of Onobugeisha was really going down. But there were still a network of badass women that were doing things politically. One such woman was Hino Tomogi, the wife of the 8th Shogun of Japan. She is actually the person who is responsible for starting the Sengoku period or the Warring States period in the first place. Boop, 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 boop. And here's how she did it. So, this Shogun was an alright dude, but he was kind of weak. He was weak sauce. He abdicated his position to his younger brother because he didn't have an heir yet. But Hino Tomoki was pissed because as soon as he abdicated, she had a son. And she was like, um, I make most of your decisions anyway, Mr. Shogun, because you're weak sauce. And now I plan for my son to be the next Shogun. So... I would like to retain the power I have right now and get more power once my son is the Shogun. But her stinky old husband ruined it. So in 1467, she divorced him and went to the other clans to get their support. And they were like, yeah, we love you. You're a boss. And we kind of hate your husband and his brother. So let's do this. So they fought the Onin War, which would be the first in the long series of wars that made up the Sengoku period. So when I say the Sengoku period was a crazy roller coaster for women and their role in society, boy howdy do I mean it. There was another Onobugeisha that is probably my favorite. Her name was Hojo Masako, the fighting nun. Oh yeah. She was a nun. She was the first prominent Onobugeisha in politics. Through her efforts, along with other Onobugeisha, she was able to press the shogun into changing women's rights in the 13th century. She made it possible for women to have equal rights of inheritance with fraternal kin, meaning that they women were just as capable of inheriting whatever as their male family members. It also allowed women to control their own money and manage their households, as well as having legal control over But it wasn't all politics with her. She fought in many campaigns and was never defeated in battle. One of the things that's just so interesting for me is how polar opposite different years in the Sengoku period were. You had some years of just amazing progress in equality and badass women, and then some years of just horrible oppression and sexism. But the story of the Onobugeisha doesn't stop there. 
we have moved on to the 17th century. After the Sengoku era, the Edo period began. This was a time of total Japan isolation and the beginning stages of Japanese unification. It truly was a flourishing moment for women samurai with the coming of the Tokugawa shogunate. Tokugawa is a dude, by the way, a dude's name. So with the coming of the Tokugawa shogunate, the focus moved to arming and training skilled combatants. Schools for training with Naginata opened all over the empire, and the numbers of women trained in martial arts, specifically combat martial arts, dramatically increased. For a short period, women were once again the protectors of their entire villages, guarding them with their lives. Onobugeisha often moved in small groups and dealt with threats themselves, free from male-dominated social structure of the previous years. The woman we're going to highlight in this period is Yododono, the second wife of Tomo... <laughs> That's a lot of sounds all at once. <laughs> Let me tell you Changing from English to Japanese, my tongue is just all over the place. So let me try that again. Yodo Dono was the second wife of Toyotomi Hideyoshi, <laughs> who was the second great shogun of the Edo period. Whew, we made it through. <laughs> so Toyotomi Hideyoshi was coming to like the end of his life and he needed a successor. And there was a huge battle going on for who would be the next shogun. Toyotomi obviously wanted somebody from his clan to be the next person. But there was this other dude named Tokugawa Ieyasu. And he really hated Toyotomi Hideyoshi. And was gathering forces in Osaka, in Osaka Castle, to go fight Toyotomi and his clan. Toyotomi was getting all ready for the battle, but was killed and when you're dead you can't lead an army so his second wife Yododono was like I got this so she took leadership of the entire clan and led the final siege of Osaka castle but spoiler alert it was not super uh successful and it did not go well and uh Tokugawa Ieyasu became the next shogun, <laughs> which actually turned out to be kind of horrible for the Onobugeisha. And for a while, their status was once again turned into garbage. For some reason, the concept of a woman being a fit companion for war was no longer conceivable. Inconceivable! If you have seen uh, the, what is it, what is it, Princess Bride? I think it's Princess Bride where the actor Wallace Shawn is Vizzini. Do you remember? Vizzini. And he goes, inconceivable all the time. And it's so funny. And every time I say inconceivable, I think of that movie. But anyways, moving on. <laughs> so women being a fit companion for war was no longer conceivable. The relationship between a husband and a wife could be basically chalked up to that of a lord and his property. Husbands and wives did not even customarily sleep together. The husband would visit his wife to initiate any sexual activity, and afterwards he would return to his own room, with sexual activity being uh, for the 
purpose of creating children only. And one of the things that I find really awful is that travel during the Edo period was demanding and very dangerous and unsettling for female samurai because of heavy restrictions. They always had to be accompanied by a man since they were not allowed to travel by themselves. Additionally, they had to possess special permits establishing their business and motives and these were not easy to get. Samurai women also received much harassment from officials who manned inspection checkpoints. And if you are a person who has received harassment, I'm sure you know how awful that is and was. Once again, the Unabugeisha were pushed aside, but not yet erased. The 19th century would be the last great wave of Onobugeisha. The time during the Edo period and the Meiji period was when Japan was split in two. Half of the country wanted to modernize and open up to the West, and half of the country wanted to keep to traditions. There were Onobugeisha on both sides. In 1868, on one side, you had a group of special imperial female warriors known as the Joshitai, and they were ruled over by 21-year-old Onobugeisha named Nakano Takeko. Takeko had been highly trained to use a naginata. In addition, she had been trained in martial arts and been highly educated throughout her life as her father was a high-ranking official in the imperial court. And on the other hand, you had Nakano Takeko, a member of the Aizu clan, who was recruited to become a leader of the female corps who fought against 20,000 soldiers of the Imperial Japanese Army. Over the nearly 1,000 years of the samurai class's existence, women have proved to be the last resistance during a military siege. The last records of women of the samurai class participating in battles were during the Satsuma Rebellion, Several women were said to have fought in battle in defense of the city of Kagoshima. This battle effectively ended the samurai class and the long and deep history of the Onobugeisha. So after thousands of years of history, why does modern history push them to the side? Well, my friend, that's because of a super cool mix of sexism and Western whitewashing. Some Japanese historians completely rejected the idea of women samurai and shrugged them off as simply legends or not giving them credit where credit is due. I cannot tell you how many resources I read that repeatedly called Onobugeisha anything other than the official leader's name. They were de facto leaders. They were stand-ins. They made up completely new names for the Onobugeisha that were in positions of power. Literally anything to avoid giving them full credit. So that part of history was just lost and buried. But that's not the only reason, my friend. Oh, 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 no. So the thing that truly ended the Edo period and began the Meiji period was a little 
knock on Japan's closed door by none other than a man named Matthew Perry. He was like, knock, knock, knock. It's the West. Open up. And Japan did. They opened up. Because it was either open up of your own free will or uh, America and England were going to make you open up. These white Western dudes came in and they were like, we reject your ideas of Onabugeisha. We don't like this. But we sure do like your war history. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to overlook the heroic quests of the Onabugeisha and we will elevate and exaggerate representations of swaggering male samurai and wrongfully portray Japanese women as kimono-clad, subservient, second-class citizens. But you know, I would never leave you on a sad note, friend. Never, ever, ever. So I'm going to tell you about the event that made it impossible for historians to ignore the real existence of Onabugeisha. DNA tests in the early 2000s on 105 bodies excavated from a battle from 1850 revealed that 35 of those 105 bodies were women. Other excavations were made in areas where battles took place away from castles. Japanese archaeologist Suzuki Hirotatsu explains that it's common to find bones of women or children where castle sieges took place, since they usually participated in the defense of castles. However, he stresses the fact that there is no castle on this site and concludes that these women came here to fight and to die, and they were part of the army. According to these studies, it shows 30% of all battle corpses away from castles were women. Excavations conducted on other battle sites all across Japan give similar results. According to Stephen Turnbull, a Japanese and specifically Onobugeisha historian, explains that the details of the excavation confirm that Onobugeisha are certainly present in the battlefields and were key members of the samurai class. Man, that gives me all sorts of warm fuzzies. I love it. I love cold, hard evidence of badass women. And you know what? If you don't remember anything else from this podcast, I want you to remember what was written about Tomoe Gozen. As a swordswoman, she was a warrior worth a thousand, ready to confront a demon or a god, mounted or on foot. All right, my friend, that is all she wrote for today. That's it. That's all I got for you. I'm just filled with lady warrior energy right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> but I promise I won't keep you for much longer. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left a comment or left a few stars, shared it, tagged me on Instagram whatever send me a message it really helps me out and keeps me motivated and uh, i just really appreciate you listening so have a great day 
Have a great weekend. Have a great rest of your week. Take care of yourself. And I will see you on November 27th when we talk about the true story of Yakuza criminal tattoos. Okay, see you on the 27th. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>